Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. Back to The Bald Face Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. Our next guest, one of my favorite people in sports media, certainly in journalism, former colleague, now at the San Francisco Chronicle, Connor Letourneau, senior writer there. Uh, He wrote a piece today uh, titled Inside the Wild West of NIL, and he focused on a Bay Area five-star commit that is headed to the University of Oregon, Jurian Dickey. Wide receiver there. It's a fantastic piece. If you get a chance to uh, to read it, give it a read. I've tweeted out a link to it. But we're talking about a 17-year-old senior at Menlo Atherton High School who is driving around in a Mercedes and hasn't really done anything in college yet but headed to the University of Oregon. And he is among a growing number of high school players who are making money in the NIL world. Here to talk about it, Connor Letourneau of the Chronicle. Nice job. Give me an idea, Connor. Like when you started out, why Jury and Dickey? Why this piece? Yeah, so I actually initially wanted to focus the story on Jaden Rashada, who's a four-star quarterback in, uh, out of Pittsburgh High School in the Bay Area. A lot of people might know that name because he got a bunch of national attention a couple months ago for kind of having a, an NIL deal with, Florida go awry, and it kind of served as a cautionary tale for NIL and, and the role that recruiting plays in NIL. And I actually, back in October, was interested in doing something on Jaden before all that, and he wasn't interested. And so uh, I reached out to Jurion because I knew he was in that space as well, and uh, he was much more receptive to it. Spent some time with him uh, back in January for that piece. And I just wanted to get at what is life like for a top recruit in the, this world where you have major universities with collectives that are shelling out seven-figure, sometimes even eight-figure NIL deals. And on top of that, they have endorsement contracts and all that. So it was a fascinating story to report. Give me an idea because this is part of a larger series that you're working on with NIL in particular, the Wild West of it, what it means for athletes in non-revenue-generating sports versus revenue-generating sports. And you get, you get a kid like uh, Jurion who is willing to participate. Did he have any reluctance in talking about this, or is he of the mindset that, hey, some publicity here is good for the brand? Uh, I think he definitely understood that being you know front page of the San Francisco Chronicle was going to be a good thing for him, but... Um, he, 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 at a young age, he definitely has an awareness of branding and, and kind of getting his name out there, but he, he was pretty open. The only things he wouldn't talk about were specific numbers. You know, he, he wouldn't talk about how much NIL money he's getting from Oregon's collective and things like that. Um, but he did, he did allude to some big offers. He said he turned down a million dollar offer because, um, just the, the conditions of the deal, weren't great and, and things like that. I mean, he's a five-star guy, and pretty much all these five-star guys are getting 
either high six-figure or seven-figure deals. It's crazy. Connor Letourneau, San Francisco's Chronicle, is with us. I've tweeted out a link to the piece if you want to go to my Twitter timeline. Um, you know, he's not a guy who's on campus yet. The collectives are supposed to wait until kids get enrolled. Uh, how is he driving around in a Mercedes, or how does he rectify that? So on3.com, which is probably the best resource for a lot of this stuff, they, they have like a evaluation and it's just basically an estimate of what they believe certain athletes are making in a given year. They put his estimation at north of $230,000 a year. So, okay. you know, if he's truly making north of 200 K, it's not out of the realm of possibility for him to be able to go and buy a Mercedes Benz, you know? And so he does have a 2021 Mercedes Benz that he had, during our interview back in January. And, you know, one of the interesting things about his story is that his mom is on disability. She got in a, a very serious car accident a few years ago and has and is unable to work. So she had to quit her job as a nurse. And Juriana is supporting his whole family uh, wow. with his NIL money. And so, you know, there's a lot of pressure that comes along with that. This is a 17-year-old kid. Um, who's going to be moving up to Eugene pretty soon. His entire family is going to be moving up there with him. Um, his older brother is a walk-on offensive lineman uh, who is going to be at Oregon with him. And then his his eldest brother and his mom will be renting a house near campus. So there's just a lot there. Yeah, and you mentioned in the piece that, you know, you mentioned uh, Rashada earlier who uh, got wrapped up in that story at Florida and, you know, ultimately ended up at, I think, Arizona State. But in Dickey, they, they sort of move in the same circle, or at least the same seven-on-seven seven circle. And I are the players leaning on each other for advice? Where are they getting advice? Uh, I know that Jurion talked to Jaden a lot about his experience. Um, when I spent time with Jurion in January, that was right when – Jaden's story was national news. Um, I had just gotten an ESPN text alert about Jaden earlier that day, I remember. And it was interesting talking to Jaron because he, he had just spoken with Jaden, and he said that how everything went with Jaden was just kind of a reminder to him that, you know, there are some pitfalls to chasing the money. And, you know, it's understandable why people go after the money, especially if you're from a situation where your family doesn't have much money. But, um you know, there can be there can be repercussions to that. You know, Jaden is someone who, no matter what happens with his football career, he will always be known for this. I mean, it'll be kind of like a black mark on his resume that he's going to have to address at the NFL Combine someday, uh, that he's going to have to field interview questions about. So um, no, no 17-year-old kid wants to have to deal with that. But the interesting thing is, you know, unlike universities where they, they have compliance officers and things to at least walk you through, the process of NIL, high school kids don't have any of that. So you're totally on your own. Jurion's actually relying on his older brother, who's a Cal grad, to, uh, to read his contracts and things like that. It's fascinating stuff. Uh, Connor Letourneau, San Francisco Chronicle, senior writer, is with us. Connor, let me ask you, um, it, it's been described as a Wild West. You call it a Wild West in print. How different are these collectives when you look around the country? Uh, there's a very wide range, <laughs> incredibly wide range. Um, I know San Jose State 
uh, and you know their their head coach is Brent Brennan, former Oregon State assistant. I know that their collective, which is pretty pretty new, has almost no money in it currently because it's still in its early stages. Um, compare that to a place like Tennessee, which they are striving to have like an annual revenue to dole out or annual contracts to dole out of $25 million. Um, and, you know, Texas A&M had a recruiting class last year that was reportedly $30 million. And some of these coaches, like Ryan Day at Ohio State, just openly has talked to boosters and stuff about, hey, I need $13 million to, to fund my football team roster next season. It's a very – it's becoming very blatant, very open – and it's crazy because technically collectives aren't even supposed to be communicating with universities. Yeah. Uh, but the NCAA can't, doesn't really have the bandwidth to enforce this, so it's it really is wild wild west. I mean, it's like it's not, not, there, nothing's being checked. Give me an idea because we've we've kicked around on the show different you know solutions to how do you how do you allow players to participate in this because you want kids to have the opportunity. I think. That ship has sailed, but but not not get exploited, not get put into a position like Jay, you know, Rashada did at Florida. Um, what kinds of guardrails would you recommend, or what have you thought about as you're reporting? Because you're talking to people in this world. Yeah, so I have another story that comes out tomorrow that kind of focuses on the situation at Stanford. Stanford is really the only Power Five program that has openly shunned collectives they're not getting involved at all and um in that story i get into some of the the potential solutions uh you know there's legislation that's kind of being bandied about that would be you know treating players as employees of the university kind of giving athletes just a salary um you know there's talk about sharing revenue with players um i think all these very well could happen there's talking there's talk about getting rid of the rules that uh, prevent collectives from actually uh, communicating with the programs and just because it's already happening. So you might as well just make it official that they, they're allowed to do that. There's talk about that. And then, you know, in terms of making it a little bit more of a level playing field, because it, it really, college football is already about the haves and have nots. And it's and recruiting in NIL has made that even more pronounced. And so there's talk about revenue sharing uh, throughout uh, FBS programs, and then there's talk about maybe a salary cap um, just to make it fair because the tendencies of the world, if it trends the way it's trending, are going to win all the national championships, and then the Oregon states of the world are going to have no chance. So that's where we're at. Yeah, I, I keep looking at it, and I, I know that we've had a few of the collectives on this show. Some of them are very interested in getting to their – getting to their donors, Arizona State, for example, the head of their collective, the Sun Angel Collective, wanted to come on this show because they have alumni all over the place and they wanted to promote the idea that, you know, they're they're doing recurring sort of donations for trying to take advantage of the, the, the large number of alumni that they have all over the place. Washington State, Oregon State, very interested in coming on the show. Oregon, not so much. Division Street, close the circle, won't respond. Uh, you know, I've heard, you, you know, different things about that collective. You know, in your experience in reporting uh, on Jury and Dickey, did you get any insight into Division Street? Division Street came up a lot um, just talking to experts and stuff about the biggest collectives, and Division Street is considered 
probably the biggest collective this side of the Southeast. Like all the other ones are, you know, Texas A&M, Tennessee, you know, those types of schools. Um, the, the Oregon's is by far the biggest one on the West Coast. Um, I've heard it's probably top five in the country, um, and it's grown really fast. Um, Jurion didn't have much to say about that because, like I said, he was he wanted to kind of keep the details of his NIL deal uh, close to vest, which, which is understandable. Pretty much every recruit wants to keep that stuff private. Um, but he, it was funny. He did tell me he was at Oregon, and, and he was sta- like at the, the team facilities, and he was standing right next to Phil Knight. And uh, one, of the, one of the assistants came up to him and was like, you know who that is? And Jerron's like, no, who's that? Oh, that's Phil Knight. Oh, who's Phil Knight? Like, so that just <laughs> that yeah. just puts in perspective. Like, the average 17-year-old has no idea who Phil Knight is. In reality, he's actually indirectly getting paid by Phil Knight. Yeah, and he's got to, at some point, he'll figure it out and go, oh. Uh, and uh, Connor Laterto is with us, San Francisco Chronicle. Hey, uh, great job on the piece. Uh, it's fantastic. I encourage people to read it. Uh, I have tweeted a link to it out. Uh, you can also uh, follow Connor on Twitter as well. Um, Connor, the uh, uh, con underscore cron, like for Chronicle, is his Twitter handle. Uh, the Pac-12 tournament is happening. You will be there in Vegas covering some games, as will I. But you've got Stanford and Cal uh, that you're going to be keeping an eye on for the for the Chronicle. Now, Stanford's interesting because they can shoot it. They they may end up in yeah. a second-round game against Arizona. They played much better. But let's start with Cal and Mark Fox. A historically bad season. Will Cal fire him? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's going to be fired. Uh, every, everything I've heard is that that's going to happen. It's not official yet, but all signs point to him being fired. I, I think the AD there, Jim Knowlton, very much wanted to keep Mark even despite everything. Um, but it just got to a point where it was untenable. Um, I think I think Jim Knowlton's job would be in question if he kept uh, Mark Fox because there's just so much frustration from the donor base and the fan base um, over how awful that program has become. So yeah, he'll be gone. Um, it'll be really interesting to see you know who they hire. There, there's talk about uh, Jim Pasternak, the the coach at UC Santa Barbara. There's talk about Tim Miles, who's done an amazing job at San Jose State. Um, so that would be really interesting. But Stanford also very well could have an opening here. Jared Haas is almost definitely not going to be leading the Stanford team to an NCAA tournament. That will be his seventh straight year with no NCAA tournament. I think the yeah. clock's kind of winding down on his do- tenure as well. He does have a – he has one thing in his corner that I – I was where you are. I was going, uh, you know, can they really afford to keep him? And then I looked at his recruiting class, and his incoming class has got some star power to it, and I wonder if that's enough to keep him. And Stanford, in your reporting, you mentioned earlier, they're not interested in NIL. How do do Cal and Stanford compete if they can't play academically in the transfer portal? Well, Stanford has an advantage in that there's just this, mystique in this aura about going to Stanford. Stanford, you know, everyone just likes the brand recognition of Stanford. Everyone wants to go to the smart school um, and and feel that. And so I think that's the biggest thing Stanford has. Obviously, Cal's a really good school as well, but I don't think it has that same kind of cachet and brand recognition 
that Stanford has. Um, but, you know, I've talked to a couple of the recruits who've signed with Haas, and, you know, one of them, uh, Kenan Carlisle, is a five-star recruit out of Atlanta. We talked for, like, five minutes about him going to Stanford. He didn't mention Haas once. And I kind of get the vibe that a lot of mm. people who go to that program aren't necessarily going for the coach. They're going for the school. They're going for the brand. So I think even if they fire Haas, that Stanford won't have a huge problem keeping that recruiting class together. There's a lot of talk about them replacing Haas with uh, Mark Matson, who's done an amazing job oh, yeah. at Utah Valley, obviously. Local guy who was on that really good Stanford team back in the day. I think he'd be able to keep that class together. So I don't think the recruiting thing should hold them back from firing Haas. And the reality is, too, it's like, yeah, it's great that he can recruit, but isn't that almost worse? I mean, when you're getting these five-star yes. guys and yes. then not making the tournament every year, isn't that almost worse than someone like Mark Fox who just can't even recruit? <laughs> right. You've got the players. You, know? you still can't win. Um, look, yeah. uh, it, it, I, I think of the two teams, Stanford is the more likely team to go on a little run in this event they will have uh they are the 10 seed played much better down the stretch but they'll get number seven utah they're playing shorthanded six o'clock tomorrow in vegas if they win that game they advance to thursday's second round against arizona keep an eye on stanford uh you you know maybe haas will save himself in the next couple of games uh connor i mean he'd have to win i think he'd have to win the pac gold tournament yeah. honestly so will they fire unlikely. <laughs> will Cal fire Mark Fox on the tarmac, or will Jim Knowlton wait and do it when uh, you know a day later in Berkeley? Has Mark Fox already started packing his office? That's that's what I want to know. <laughs> I mean, he's got to know. Um, so it's I'll be there. I'll be there for what will likely be the final game of the the Mark Fox era. I'm sure Mark Fox will not be happy to see me because every story I've written about his program has not been incredibly positive. Uh, yeah. Shout out to you, by the way. John Canzano wrote probably the best story on Cal basketball in recent months, so everyone wants to check that out. Yeah, the Cal people, uh, the fans loved me. The The program hated me. The athletic director <laughs> won't talk to me, but, you know, pass the beer nuts. That's how it goes. Hey, Connor, I'll see you in Vegas, man. Great job on the story today. All right. Looking, thank you, man. Looking forward to seeing you. All right, there he is, Connor Letourneau. San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, a wealth of stuff in that interview. We'll unpack it next. Plus, we'll talk about a little change. The NFL is trying to wiggle its way into the world of college football. Uh, how are they doing it? I'll tell you. Coming up. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. So keep an eye on both Stanford and Cal, according to Connor Letourneau of the San Francisco Chronicle. They both could be looking for new coaches. I actually think Haas at Stanford's going to survive. I could be wrong, but uh, I like the recruiting class, and I think if you're Stanford, you're dealing with a whole bunch of other questions right now as it pertains to college football and as it pertains to the media rights uh, ongoing saga, negotiation, whatever you want to call it, and as it pertains to, uh, uh, you know, brand new, they just hired a new football coach. Do but they want to have to go, go do that in basketball? Doesn't it remind you of the situation up in Washington years ago with Lorenzo Romar? Like, he was getting first-round picks. He had Marco Fultz, the number one overall pick, and they weren't winning anything either. Like, I know recruiting classes matter, 
But at some point, like, you could bring in the best recruits and you're still not going to win. You need to have a better coach in there. And like like the guest said, like, Stanford's going to get top recruits no matter what. doesn't matter who the coach is. So shouldn't it be where he should be out if he can't even coach these top guys? Should be, but then I look at the way Stanford played in the last third of the season, and I uh, I look and go, okay, if you're if you're Bernard Muir, the athletic director at Stanford, maybe you're looking at the way that Haas finished. Maybe you're looking at you know the fact that um, they've got a recruiting class that looks like it's worth a damn. But I'm just looking at the last maybe the last ten games of their conference season. They weren't bad. They started to play better. And I think if they had channeled that a little earlier, they had a win over Arizona, for example. Uh, barely lost Arizona State. Um, beat Utah. Uh, beat Cal badly, like everybody else is beat, beating Cal. Beat Oregon, yeah. Beat Oregon. And so I think you look at what he did down the stretch, and if I'm, I'm just putting myself, in the sh- I'm putting myself in the shoes of Bernard Muir. First of all, he's at Stanford, where there's not a whole bunch of pressure for the basketball program or the football program to win big. There just isn't all that additional pressure that exists most everywhere else. Secondarily, you look at Haas and you say, you say, okay, he's got a recruiting class that includes two really interesting and intriguing good players. You look at the fact that they played better down the stretch and they won some games, went over Arizona, went over Oregon, uh, you know, basically beat Washington, beat, you know, th- they looked okay, beat Utah. They looked okay in the second half of the season. But – uh, they they can shoot it, and and that's the that's the scouting report on them in this tournament. I actually think they're going to beat Utah in the opening round as the ten seed. I think they're going to beat the seven. Then they'll get in there against Arizona. I don't think they have enough firepower to beat Arizona, but I actually think they're going to get through to the second round, and maybe that helps them. Maybe it doesn't. Now in Cal's case, Mark Fox is a goner. He is fired. He is more than fired. I don't even, I don't even know how you could classify it, but Cal had the worst basketball season in their history this season. In their history. And, you know, I I was really looking at Cal and hoping that when I went to go do my sort of uh, look at why Cal became so bad this season, I was kind of hoping that I would find some reason that wasn't the coach. And there are some reasons that Cal's not winning. They're not funding the program. They don't have a practice facility. They're essentially practicing in the student rec center. So they have students who are popping their head in going, is this open gym? While they're, you know, while they're trying to practice. That kills you in recruiting. Like, How do you tell your players, hey, we don't have a practice facility, and oh, by the way, there's going to be a bunch of people running on treadmills in the next room, but we're going to be practicing over here in this gym. So you don't have a gym. You don't have uh, funding. You're not traveling via charter everywhere that everybody else is traveling. Um, there are some bad things there, but beyond that, you know, Fox has had enough time here to get into the portal and try to do some other things. He just hasn't done it well, and he hasn't had, you know, when you're 3-28, and 28, it's more than funding. Like, Oregon State, Washington State aren't, aren't tremendously funded programs either. But they're, you know, they're winning 11 conference games and 16 conference games. Uh, excuse me, 11 games and 16 games overall. You can't go 3-28 and 28 and expect to keep your job. Yeah, I also think... The fact that it's not his first year, right? This is his fourth year at Cal. It's yeah. not like he's a newbie there anymore. If it was year one, okay, you can give him a year to get year or two to you know rebuild it. But year four, man, you you got to have something. He's showing nothing there. I had some people inside his program try to compare what he's doing to what Sonny Dykes did 
with Cal's football program. We also saw Sonny Dykes play for the national championship in football at TCU, and people went, when did he learn to coach? Well, he learned to coach when he went to TCU. Um, you know, he knew, he knew how to coach before, but he was coaching with one arm tied behind his back. Now, it may, it may prove that Mark Fox is a decent coach, but it just hasn't worked at Cal, and you can't, you can't justify continuing this era. So I think this is his last game tomorrow. He's going to finish 3-29. and Cal's going to get beat tomorrow in the opening round as they play Washington State, and Fox will probably be fired on Thursday back in Berkeley as his AD. And his AG, Jim Knowlton, should just fire himself, too. I mean, he hired the guy. And, uh, look, Knowlton has a great reputation. He's a military. He's got a military background. He'd be awesome at Air Force. He'd be awesome at West Point. He'd be awesome at Vanderbilt. He doesn't work at Cal. He, you know, and Cal... I'll even go further. The university president at Cal has hired uh, athletic directors who have backgrounds in field hockey, in wrestling, and in the Olympic sports. They don't hire ADs who have a background in football or men's basketball where all the money's buried. So I think that's a mistake. I think it's a huge misfire at Cal. They have the wrong kind of AD who doesn't understand how to invest and how to build uh, you know, Knowlton has a great reputation. He's supposed to be ethically just a great human being in that way, but he doesn't understand football and men's basketball, and you can't have an AD in that position who doesn't understand those two sports. We interrupt this podcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.